WHMP. Good afternoon, everyone. Uh, it's Monday. Thank you for joining us on this uh, rainy Monday. I think that there's some promise that uh, the weather's going to increase to uh, sunshine in the upcoming days. Hello, Dan. Hello, Buzz. How Another, was your weekend? My weekend was fantastic, despite what's coming out of um, the Supreme Court, what's happening in the Capitol building. Uh, I nevertheless had a lot of fun this weekend. Nice. Me too. What'd you do? Green River. You went Sunday. to the festival and listened to music. I did. Was it well attended? It was well attended, yeah, especially Saturday, but yes, it was a great time. So you were outdoors the whole time? Outdoor in that heat, yeah. Were yeah. you concerned that it's a super spreader or the fact that you were outdoors? I, you yeah, being outdoors, you know, and I'm also double vaxxed plus boosted, so I felt pretty comfortable. And a party animal you are. Uh, you know me, Buzz. <laughs> Um, you know, uh, I always have great guests on this show, but I'm very excited about our guest today because uh, he's been sort of um, within my peripheral vision for a long time. He's the author of, I think, over a dozen books, including uh, the bestseller, The End of Nature, which is a clarion about uh, climate change that uh, any climate denier should uh, wake up and, and read. Um, currently, I, I would say it was about two weeks ago, there was an article, in the, a column in the Globe um, by our guest, um, and it spoke to me. Actually, it yelled at me. It said, okay, boomers, we broke America, now let's fix it. And I was, after the initial, what do you mean I didn't break America? Then I started thinking about the last 50 years and what's happened in the arena of race and inequality and the advent of a crazed religious right and our environmental crisis. And I said, okay, I could have done more and we should all be doing more. And that's my response to Bill McKibben. And I am so grateful uh, that Bill could join us today. Hello, Bill. Well, what a pleasure to be with you. And I, I bring you good news. The uh, weather, at least on the weather, western edge of Vermont, is clearing fast. It's turned into a beautiful afternoon. So I predict the Pioneer Valley will be in sunshine and breeze before long. Yeah, Vermont is always a nice place to be, regardless of the weather. That's what I think. But um, yeah. that's what Bernie says, too. For you, that uh, 91 corridor is a good place to be. It is indeed. So I, um, uh, by way of disclosure to our listeners, I haven't completed your book. I'm working on it. Um, it's there on the night table with a whole lot of other uh, neighbors that it is enjoying being around. But... It is called The Flag, The Cross, and The Station Wagon. A graying American looks back at his suburban boyhood and wonders, what the hell happened? Bill McKibben, what the hell happened? Well, look, when this book begins in 1970 in Lexington, so at the other end of the Bay State, uh, we moved to the suburbs then, uh, and it seemed to me at age 10 that this kind of modest paradise must be sort of the spreading norm. And indeed it was. Most American growth was coming in the suburbs. Uh, and and it felt like the world was, despite turmoil, despite assassinations, despite a war, uh, despite Watergate, it felt like the world was moving in the right direction. It was in those years that we decided to make women a full part of society. It was in those years that the civil rights movement reached its apex and we were expanding voting rights for people. It was in those years that we had the first Earth Day and began to take the environment seriously, passed things like the Clean Air Act. In fact, it was in those years that we did all the things that the Supreme Court is now busily overturning. And that reaction began in those suburbs in the 1970s. Really, that was a fateful decade because it ended with the election of Ronald Reagan, the most decisive election in our lifetimes, I think, and one that set us on the course that we've basically been on ever since, a course where we live very privatized and individualized lives where we think of government as a problem, not a solution to problems, where we think market forces will get us out of our difficulties. Uh, a lot happened over those years, and some of it looks very much like what's happening right now, high gas prices, oil shocks, and so on. Uh, 
Um, but that was the story that, that I kind of wanted to tell. And it's a story that I, I'm happy to say is resonating with people. Um, it's on the just it's only been out a couple of weeks, but it's on the globe bestseller list now. And, and I think it's because there's an awful lot of people who either are left around from that period or uh, grew up wondering what their parents' lives had been like. Or wondering what the hell happened. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I mean, it's funny, uh, Dan um, here, our, our producer, and uh, he's here in the studio with me. Dan, you... Yes, Buzz. You told me last week that you had read a law review article that I had written about years the, ago. Yes, about the 60s, yeah. About what I called the Halcyon 60s. Halcyon. At the time that I wrote it, <clears throat> I I meant it. Like, those. that was the apex of in my lifetime, because mm-hmm. and I listed all the things that the courts had done to make life better for more people. Mm. Uh, well, when you reminded me of that last week, I was, oh my God, that was the apex. Things have been going downhill ever since the Warren <laughs> Court, uh, which is, uh, I had written it, I thought I was being hyperbolic, not accurate. Mm. Uh, and so, Bill, I think that's, that's what your book does. For me, it says... Um, what I was sensing is really true. We are in decline as as a society. Although you're a little bit more hopeful than many people are. Um, How'd you come to that place? Well, to the degree that I'm hopeful, it's because I know what we can do about it, and we've seen some signs we can do things about it. We need to organize. We need to mobilize. We need to do the same thing that people did back then. And uh, and I think we're capable of it. You know, I've spent the last 10 or 15 years volunteering, uh, organizing in the climate movement, and we've been able to beat the Keystone Pipeline, and we've been able to build this fossil fuel divestment campaign into the biggest anti-corporate campaign in history. We're at about $40 trillion now in uh, endowments and portfolios that have divested from fossil fuel, including... I'm happy to say every single one of those colleges out there in that hotbed of colleges that is the Pioneer Valley. Mm-hmm. And and so I know that we can do this, and now we're doing this work. You know, we've relied on young people always to do a lot of this. But now we've formed this new outfit, Third Act, that's organizing people my age, people over the age of 60, uh, for action on climate change and on democracy. Uh, and... People are responding in huge numbers, joining up left and right, even in the first few months of this, so that we can figure out how to apply that kind of pressure and apply it fast. Let's talk about that a little. You have um, the third act. You ask everything from senior. Well, why don't you tell us about it rather than me telling you what you do? Sure. It's brand new. And as I say, it's aimed at people over the age of 60. Why? Well, because I got a little worried that we were just uh, telling young people that they were going to have to solve problems like climate change themselves. And indeed, they're providing huge leadership. I mean, the Greta Thunbergs of the world, the Sunrise Movement, on and on and on. Oh, hold it. I have to interrupt you. And Dan is going about to smile, I am certain, because Bill and his wife um, founded 350.org. I believe that's true. Isn't that true, Bill? Yes, indeed. So uh, uh, we have yeah. this in downtown Northampton every Tuesday is a wonderful farmer's market. And a scientist, our correspondent, who is a sustainability correspondent on this show, every Thursday has a half hour piece. And he brought in two girls who were at the farmer's market selling daffodils and little handicrafts that they had made. And all of the... Um, profits were going to 350.org. Yeah. They were so adorable. What How were they, old fourth were graders? Th- were they fourth graders? I think they were 10-year-old fourth they were graders. Year old? Wow. Uh, actually, yeah. I remember, uh, but I just want to tell you this. They had raised, I think, and, yeah. $1,202 for 350.org. Like yeah. They were on a radio show, and we were just saluting them. I just had to interrupt you to tell you that, Bill. No, well, that's, but that makes my point for me. Um, you know, it's there's this incredible cadre of wonderful 10-year-olds and 15-year-olds and 19-year-olds and 23-year-olds all over the world doing this work, which is great. But for all that energy and earnestness and intelligence and idealism, they lack the structural power to make the changes that we need. Whereas those of us who are 
somewhat more advanced in years. Well, I mean, if you look at people over the age of 60 in America, there's 70 million of us. That's more than the population of France. And you better multiply that by some number because we all vote. You cannot keep old people from voting no matter what. And we ended up with most of the money. Um, we've got about 70% of the country's financial resources compared with about 5% for millennials. So if you want to pressure Washington or Wall Street, you better get some people with hairlines more or less like mine, you know. <laughs> Indeed. And, Could you? And, you know, people think that everyone becomes more conservative as they age. And there's, you know, some support for that. People have more stuff to protect, maybe. But we can't let it happen. And in this case, we don't need to, because this particular generation, as we were just describing, if you're in your 60s or 70s or 80s now, when you were in your first act, you were around to participate in, or at least bear witness to, incredible social, cultural, political transformations. This remarkable period, not true. In our second act, taken as a whole, with noble exceptions that I'm sure are represented both in that studio and in your listening audience, uh, with those, you know, but taken as a whole, maybe our generations were a little more interested in consumerism than they were in citizenship, you know. But that water's under the bridge. Now we emerge into our third act with the skills we've acquired over a lifetime, with those resources. Maybe we've got some time now that we didn't before. And most cases, we've got kids or grandkids, and hence all that abstract talk about legacy now it seems very, very real all of a sudden, um, you know. Uh, uh, we're about to be the first generations that leave the world a worse place than we found it. Mm. And that is not the image of ourselves that we had or that we want. And so the time is right now to come together and to get done what we can. We've been having big campaigns to pressure the banks to stop funding the fossil fuel industry, the big American banks Chase, City, Wells Fargo, Bank of America, they've sent more than a trillion dollars off to big oil since the Paris Climate Accords were signed. They didn't need Donald Trump to sabotage those accords. They were happy to do it themselves. Uh, we've got big campaigns to stand up to voter suppression around the country because it's completely, well, it's it's disgusting. The idea that we're trying to make it harder for people to vote instead of easier um, I mean, what is that about? And and so it's really been fun to do this. And it's been fun in part because some of the icons of that earlier age are still around, still kicking, and still willing to help. I tell my young friends, I admire them enormously, but our generation did produce the best music of all time. <laughs> so it's good fun to have, you know, be working with Carol King and Bette Midler and Neil Young and Patti Smith and on and on. Uh, Bill, this is Dan. I, I had a question for you. Uh, listening uh, to what Buzz said earlier about the 60s, how did your generation get from from the days of the 1960s and the idealism into the consumerism uh, mindset? Like, what was transpiring sociologically in the country? Well, I think one thing that happened was we may have thought we'd made all the changes we needed to make, and now we could rest. Um, but I think another thing that happened was those oil shocks, you know. Remember, America was the quintessential car culture then. And car was everything, man. Like, you know, it was. I mean, we even called sex parking, you know. Um, <laughs> um, and so... When those gas shocks came in the 1970s, it was way more disturbing even than the kind of what's happening now to people's psyche, their sense of the world. And, you know, Ronald Reagan promised he could make all that stuff better, make it go away. And for a little while he could, but that was, you know, only by doing things that have turned out to have extraordinary environmental consequences and extraordinary consequences in other ways instead of you know, the wealth gap narrowing as it had been since World War II till 1978, the year I got out of college. Uh, ever since then, that gap's been growing and growing and growing. Till now we've got, 
individual human beings, you know, Jeff mm-hmm. Bezos or Elon Musk, with more money than the bottom half of the population combined. It's mm-hmm. insane, you know. So, um, it's that, insane. That's that, that's a great place to leave it when we take a break. I, uh, um, uh, you know, Bill, we could talk to you for hours. We're going to talk to you a little bit more after these uh, few minutes that we take off for a break. We are talking to uh, Bill McCabin. He is the uh, author of The Flag, The Cross, and The Station Wagon. And we're going to be back. And he calls me a fossil. I'm a fossil against fossil fuels. I love that. (laughs) We're going to be back with Bill McKibben right after these messages. Stay with us. This is the Afternoon Buzz with Buzz Eisenberg. 101.5 WHMP. Was the loser now will be later to win for the times they are changing. If you are into free, you'll love Greenfield Savings Bank's free checking. Of course, there are no monthly fees and no fees for check or deposit transactions. But that's just the beginning. With GSB free checking, you get free online banking, free e-statements, and free GSB mobile app, which lets you bank from anywhere anytime, including depositing checks from your mobile device. Plus, GSB Online Banking and the GSB mobile app come with the free GSB Credit Center where you can get your credit score and credit report for free. And the GSB mobile app also lets you control your GSB debit card remotely from your mobile device, which also comes free with your GSB free checking account. You can also set up alerts and controls for your free GSB debit card. Open your account online or at any of our offices. And did I mention the free welcome gift when you open your account? Switch to free at Greenfield Savings Bank. Greenfield Savings Bank. Greenfieldsavings.com. Member FDIC, member DIF. Mobile carrier charges may apply. Right in your town, maybe even in your neighborhood, an immigrant is building a new life, trying to find their way, all while learning a new language. The International Language Institute offers free English classes for immigrants and refugees. For true beginners and others, like students in our Bridge to College and Careers program. One of the nation's top language schools is right here with free English classes for immigrants and refugees. The International Language Institute in downtown Northampton. Did you know that you can prevent domestic and sexual violence? You can say something. We all can say something. Together, we can do so much. Say Something is the domestic and sexual violence prevention program at Safe Passage. Join a prevention lab to build your skills and find opportunities to say something to prevent violence. Join us and help make your community safe and healthy for everyone. Get more information or sign up for a prevention lab at saysomethingnow.org. Inflation is hitting just about everyone, but a new survey shows it's hitting America's working men and women, those who work for hourly wages instead of salaries, the hardest. A Harris poll of hourly wage earners found groceries, gasoline, and utility bills are causing the most distress. The Food and Drug Administration has ordered Juul's e-cigarette products removed from the market. After a two-year investigation, the agency found the company's past marketing practices targeted teens and glamorized vaping. If you're enjoying slightly lower gas prices, you can thank falling oil prices. The price of crude is down about $20 a barrel from recent highs, but the reason for the decline isn't all that comforting. Analysts say oil prices are falling because of the growing belief that the U.S. and the rest of the world is facing a recession. I'm Mark Huffman. Learn more at ConsumerAffairs.com. This is the Afternoon Buzz with Buzz Eisenberg, 101.5 WHMP. And we are back with Bill McKibben, the author of his latest book, The Flag, the Cross, and the Station Wagon, which is, uh, uh, we were just talking about how over the last 50 years, America seems to have its transmission in reverse. So, Bill, the um, United States Supreme Court, my branch, I'm an attorney, um, uh, the United States Supreme Court just keeps um, issuing opinions which seem to erode rights and progress that we all thought that we'd already made and put in our rearview mirror Instead, we're returning to a time um, when, um, before many of those rights were uh, enjoyed. Um, 
your book is kind of a creed occur. It's a, um, it's telling us that we should organize. So here in the face of concealed weapons, hey states, you can't, you can't regulate them. And uh, hey states, you can regulate what a woman does uh, with her uterus. And um, hey states, you may not regulate whether or not a public uh, school coach engages his students in school prayer and during on, on a publicly owned um, football field. So what can people do, Bill Kibben? Well, first of all, let's brace ourselves because we're going to get one more of these, I'm afraid, this week. And it, in some ways is, after only the Roe decision, going to be the most dramatic. Uh, the Supreme Court's likely to rule on Wednesday that the EPA can't really even try to regulate climate pollution. Uh, the thing to understand, two things to understand about all these decisions. One, they're all unpopular. In every case, vast majorities of people want to be able to regulate guns sensibly. They want women to have the right to control their own bodies. They want the separation of church and state. They want action on climate change. So these are uh, uh, anti-democratic, but second thing to realize is that they're the product of 50 years of patient, careful organizing by a, a zealous right wing. And this is a project that people like the Koch brothers embarked on five decades ago and have carefully carried through. And so they leave us in this situation where we have to do a couple of things. One is everything we can to restore a working democracy, which means standing up to voter suppression, the kind of work that we're doing at Third Act around democracy, trying to expand the franchise again. But we also have to realize just how broken and dysfunctional that democracy is. So if we want change, we also have to find some other places to get it. I've spent much of the last decade working hard on pressuring Wall Street as well as Washington. And I think that that's important because, look, the political power ended up in the red states. Uh, that's what these Supreme Court decisions sort of demonstrate. Uh, they've managed to rig the system in lots of ways so that these places end up with lots more power than they deserve. But most of the money ended up in the blue states. 65% of the GDP in America comes from counties that voted for Biden. If we can force the big banks and the big asset managers and things to start doing the right thing around issues like climate change, we can do some kind of an end around around Washington, even as we're trying to repair it to make it work again. So it, none of these tasks are easy. I'm not saying they are, but they're absolutely mandatory if we're going to have any hope of heading off the biggest problems that human beings have ever faced. And that's why we organize. That's why people have been flocking to Third Act in huge numbers since we started uh, uh, just a few months ago. And it's been very exciting to see that happening. We're all, one of the good things about being older is we're all realists, you know. No one expects that change to happen instantly or without big effort. On the other hand, um, we're also cognizant that we're uh, nearer the exit than the entrance, as it were. So why not give it what we've got while we're here? We're under no illusions that we're keeping our powder dry for some future. That future is right now, and the time is right now to put it to use. Here, here, thump, thump, thump. We are, we've been talking with Bill McKibben. I am so grateful that you joined us today. I'm so grateful that you are uh, still working on those things you've been working on for so long. Thank you for giving us hope. Thank you for giving us direction. Finally, how do people get in touch with, um, with Third Act if they wish to? thirdact.org. It could not be easier, and we look forward to welcoming you in. And uh, many, many thanks to you guys for good work communicating about this stuff over a long time. That communication's a key part of the whole thing, so keep it up. Thank you, Bill. I'd love to talk to you again. We'll contact you in the future. Good luck with your book. Everybody, the book is The Flag, The Cross, The Station Wagon. The author is Bill McKibben. Thanks for joining us today, Bill. We'll be right back with Megan Zinn, and we'll be talking about Cabin Fever Roundtable.
the afternoon buzz with Buzz Eisenberg, 101.5 WHFT. Stand my ground, and I won't back down. For WHMP News, I'm Jess Tyler. An investigation is underway following a car crash in Brimfield that killed three teenagers early Sunday morning. According to Massachusetts State Police, the call came in just before 1 a.m. to the area of 40 East Brimfield and Holland Roads. When troopers arrived, they found a 2006 Nissan Sentra that had gone off the road and rolled over 40 feet into the woods. A 17-year-old boy survived and is in the hospital with serious injuries. The Votes Act, which aims to expand access to the polls by allowing all Massachusetts residents to cast a ballot by mail without having to provide a reason, is now officially passed. However, the bill will not allow same-day voter registration. Here's Rep. Mindy Dom. So we have some work to do. We have to continue to try to educate our colleagues as to why same-day registration is important. The bill also instructs the Secretary of State's office to improve the online application portal and streamline certain aspects of the voting process. Greenfield DPW is adopting new rates for water and sewer services that will be effective as of July 1st, but residents won't see this reflected in their bills until January 2023. The water rate will be going up 7.5% from $3.72 to $4 per 100 cubic feet, and the sewer rate will increase 9% from $6.10 to $6.65 per 100 cubic feet. Some midday heavy rain, but that showers will be done generally after 3 p.m. with some partial late afternoon sunshine, a high of 76 to 80. Clearing breezy tonight, overnight low of 50 to 56. Mostly sunny breezy tomorrow, a high of 76 to 80. Dry and low 80s on Wednesday. I'm 22 News Storm Team Meteorologist Brian Lapis, 101.5 WHMP. For WHMP News, I'm Jess Tyler. Another day, another Supreme Court decision dramatically changing or reversing prior law. Join us for a discussion of the Supreme Court's decision giving a high school football coach the right to lead prayers on the 50-yard line. That will be Tuesday at 9 o'clock. Bill Newman, weekdays at 9 and again at 5. WHMP News, Information, and the Arts. When you shop at River Valley Co-op, you get the best local and organic produce, a butcher shop, wine and cheese shop, fresh seafood, and hundreds of bulk herbs, spices, and more. When you shop at River Valley Co-op, you create hundreds of union jobs and generate over $7 million in purchases from local farms and businesses. River Valley Co-op is your food hub, bringing you the best from around the valley and world while supporting your neighbors and local farmers. Shop River Valley Co-op in Northampton and East Hampton today. River Valley. Hi, this is Tom from 4-H. What will the next 100 years look like for today's youth? According to the 4-H members of Hampshire counties, there are no limits. Youth, supported by adult 4-H club leaders, are being prepared to take on any role they can imagine. Astronaut, director, hockey player, surgeon, engineer, and CEO. These are just some of the roles that a recent survey shows that our 4-Hers not only dream about, but are preparing for. Join the 4-H team. Call me, Tom, at 413 413- Five four five oh six one one. This is the afternoon buzz with Buzz Eisenberg, one oh one five. Well, we, I see a pattern developing here, Dan Torres, which is every Monday, yes, the first segment of the week, I talk about how the republic is falling, the sky is falling, yeah. the planet is dying, you know, racism is growing, inequality is broadening. But then Megan Zinn. <laughs> this is what I'm here for. The I'm sunshine. The sky opens up. <laughs> sun shines on my face. Uh, I'm, I'm very glad I could do that. Now I need somebody to do that for me. No pressure, uh, though. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, yeah. At least try to keep it positive. Um, mm-hmm. a, a few minutes of not thinking about all, what I think all about. Yeah. Yes. Um, so, yeah. Hi. Uh, so, my guest today is Chris McHugh, um, who is a fourth grade teacher in the Northampton Public Schools. Um, and, uh, so today is, was the last day of school for the Northampton Public Schools. Sure Ridiculously was. late. <laughs> wow. You're going to miss those children, aren't uh, you? I mean, definitely. I told them not, not at, you know, 1135, but by tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> Soon, but not immediately. Um, so, um, 
Well, we're going to talk about the experience of teaching during the pandemic. And first, congratulations on getting through what I imagine is one of the hardest years of your, maybe last year was the hardest year, but yeah, it's definitely one of the hardest years, I imagine. Definitely. Yeah. Last year was definitely trickier because you were doing so many right. different ways and things yeah. you hadn't done before. This year, at least, had some familiar some underpinnings. <laughs> yes, yes. And, and on behalf of all parents, even though my children are now adults, thank you. <laughs> um, and... But so how, tell me how long you've been teaching. So I've been in Northampton for, t this is just finished my 10th year in Northampton. Um, but I have been teaching on and off uh, 16 years sort of total. There were some breaks in there, but. Okay. Um, and this is probably a ridiculous question, but what was the most challenging part <laughs> of a really challenging past year or aspects, the most challenging aspects? I think that the most challenging aspect was probably that when we left last spring, I think we had high hopes that it ah, would be normal. Yeah, yeah. And then it wasn't. And I think we it, that's two springs in a row because I feel like um, this by the time June, July, June of mm. 2020 rolled around, mm -hmm. we all thought, oh, we'll be back at least we'll hybrid be, in the yeah. fall. Like mm -hmm. we'll be. And then July happened and we had to sort of pivot. Um, but I think that this year there was like you know, really we, we were looking at like the va vaccine for kids felt like it was within reach and it felt like maybe this year would be normal and it was um, more normal than last <laughs> year, but not sort of the, the typical thing. And I think that was hard um, for, for everybody. And, you know, the kids I had this year, so I teach fourth grade and um, they haven't had a full school year since first grade. Correct. So like this was their, and, and that's a big developmental, like lots of things happened um, yeah. between first and fourth grade. You know, they had, mo they had two thirds of second grade, but um, so it, even just kind of getting what does school feel like and look like, but also it's different than it was. So I have to change my expectations yeah. and they also have to like get used to what this, this new world mm. looks like. Yeah. Yeah. Were there were there any surprises? Um, I mean, everything's a surprise, I suppose, in this. But um, no, you know, coming into this year, um, positive or negative things that you really weren't expecting? Um, I don't know if there was anything I really wasn't expecting. I think I um, I was happy. By the end of the year, things sort of felt like, oh, you know, the kids were totally unmasked outside. Even when mm -hmm. the masks came off outside, there was a lot of hesitation. Kids would, like, take them off to eat and then put them okay, back on yeah. to play. Mm -hmm. um, and But by the end of the year, for sure, they were um, outside where, you know, nobody had any hesitations and inside. And they were playing the way that they used to play mm, and all okay. of that, I think, came back. And so I have – now I have high hopes yet again for, for the fall. If I could just squeeze in a question sure. to uh, Kristen McHugh, <laughs> how socially resilient are fourth graders? That is, when they've had these between first and fourth grade, they didn't have what we had, which is we were wrestling in the playground and we were mm -hmm. making mm -hmm. up games at the, the, you know, at the seesaw and they... How resilient can they be? I mean, I think incredibly resilient. I think that the the in a weird way, the positive is, right, this was like a universal experience. And mm -hmm. I, I said to my students last year, um, you know, you're going to go and to the workforce or to college and, like, you're going to have something in common with people mm -hmm. from – you know, California, who were also fourth graders, you're going to have something in common with people from Europe or Asia. Like we were, they sort of all had this experience when they were nine turning 10. And I think that commonality gave them a lot. And I think, um, I felt like there was just a lot of gratitude for hmm. being together and that oh, nice. they were able to, you know, there was lots of social struggle, but mm -hmm. in that struggle, I feel like they they ended up where fourth graders end up. They might not have started out where fourth graders okay. start out, but I think um, that they were able, because they had that common experience, to really mm -hmm. make that. And, you know, I think it's a hard, I'm sure that, that fourth graders would have a different answer for you, but I think what <laughs> I saw was yeah, a lot of resilience, definitely a lot of resilience, even for kids for whom it was a really, a really challenging time. That's reassuring to hear. Yeah, that is comforting. Um, <laughs> were the did you what 
difference did, did you see in the kids, if you did see? I mean, did the kids seem different? Um, fourth graders today seem different than, I, well, you, I think you were teaching fourth grade yes. in 2019. I was. Um, do they seem different? Um, I don't think, so. I mean, hmm. I don't think so in like the big sort of macro ways. I think that um, they're, they're, um, they might not have had all the skills that they needed. I think we, yeah. we often talked at, um, at our school about how third grade was often a year where like the, the social strife really rose mm -hmm. and they didn't have a third grade in-person year. And so I think in the oh. beginning oh. of the year, we saw some of that oh, interesting. happening. Interesting. And that then sort of, um, smoothed out, I would say by the end of the year. And, you know, they really, I think what the pandemic gave to them via their teachers was we also just realized last year math is important. I, mm -hmm. I love math. Mm -hmm. I division, like I want you to know how to multiply and divide. But we there's a lot more playtime even for fourth graders that we built in, you know, because we didn't want to be eating inside, snack mm -hmm. turned into an okay. outdoor activity right. and a social mm -hmm. time. And um, really seeing the importance for nine and 10 year olds still of like just having free social time where no one's telling them what to do and, you know, how to structure their, their yeah. talking to each other. You know, you have to be talking about this book or about, you know, this writing prompt, but instead um, – Go play. Go, go play. eat. Go play. Go play. Yeah. Um, well, the, 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 the kind of answers my next question of what um, that I think is one answer. What kinds of things did you have to do differently teaching uh, this year? Yeah, I think um, we definitely um, had to. The, the day was just broken up differently. I think the uh, stamina mm -hmm. stamina was definitely a place where we saw. Um, a lot change. of challenge. Mm -hmm. And so in in helping to build that stamina, we gave them that time outside or that playtime or that downtime. And I think, you know, we we talk about how we're gonna keep that like post co in a in yeah. a sort of like incorporating yeah. COVID world. That's wonderful. Yeah, that and that was actually a question I did have. Um is, are there other things that you um will bring into a, you know, a healthy on time when there is no COVID and masks, et cetera, that you learned this year as a teacher. Yeah. I mean, I think, I think that, that downtime piece and that like, it's not enough to just do downtime, like, oh, you can, you know, keep reading your book while you snack and kind of thinking of that as a break is not actually a break and mm -hmm. to get them outside and to get them, um, and to give them that time together, uh, to build relationships and, and, Build friendship is yeah. really important. Yeah. So it seems like, <laughs> as it comes down to with so many things, it's about the relationships with each other, and that's mm -hmm. what gets them through. It's le it's less whether they um, are caught up in math and more, um, and the method is to give them that time together yeah. and um, and let them grow that way. Um, it's really interesting. Um, and uh, are there any other strategies like of that that you think you might take into the future like that? I. I think also just, and I've always been someone, I have a um, an almost five-year-old, and so bringing her, like, her presence into the classroom, even if she's not there, and okay, yeah. using her as, like, a silly story to break mm -hmm, something up mm -hmm. or, like, relate to something. I think, um, and I had a lot of parents comment to me this year, like, we never knew anything about our teachers, oh. like personal lives. Uh -huh. And I feel like that has shifted a lot even before the pandemic. Mm -hmm. But last year, my kid was on my lap as I yes. taught Zoom sometimes yes. or whatever. And so, um, and and it just, I think I think that helps kids to like that teachers are real people and right. that we don't sleep in the school. And like <laughs> we, we have yes. full and rich lives because adults have full and rich lives and that's their future. Yeah. Newsflash. <laughs> Teachers are real people. <laughs> We're going to be back with a real person and with <laughs> Megan Zinn <laughs> right after these messages. Stay with us. This is the Afternoon Buzz with Buzz Eisenberg, 101.5 WHMP.
When it's happening here in the Valley, we're talking about it. In East Hampton, what we're doing is we are migrating all of our public records requests to civilian function in the IT department as they have a thorough handle on our digital records, but also know where a lot of the hard copies are and can work with not only the police, but other department heads to get those requests filled. 1015, 1400, and 1240. We are the Valley. We are WHMP. Hey everyone, it's Ariane, the co-pilot from The Cambridge Connection. Hold on, wait a minute. Where's Gordon? This is his commercial. Oh well, I guess we're here to talk to our listeners about Cambridge Credit Counseling, the company in partnership with your new show, The Cambridge Connection. So what shall we tell him? Hold on, Ariane, it's Tina Marie. I think we should remind everyone that asking for financial wellness advice on student loans, buying a home, or even paying off credit card debt isn't anything to be embarrassed about. It takes a lot of courage to ask for help. You got it, Tina Marie. And Cambridge Credit Counseling offers so much more than just helping to manage credit card debt. That's why Gordon is hosting the Cambridge Connection radio show every week. It's all about empowering people to pick up the phone and ask for help. Hey, Ariane, is it my turn now? (laughs) Oops, sorry, Gordy. We're out of time, but if listeners need some financial wellness advice, there's always time to call 1-800-CAMBRIDGE. That's 1-800-CAMBRIDGE. Hi, I'm Kate Kelly, public health nurse with the City of Northampton. The Northampton Health Department is holding vaccination clinics in Northampton and other locations in the region. Outdoor walk-in availability has reopened at the Northampton High School. Dates, locations, and appointments for all clinic sites can be found at the City of Northampton website. Go to www.northamptonma.gov and click on Vaccine Clinics. The clinics continue to offer Pfizer, pediatric Pfizer and Moderna vaccines, and in special situations, Johnson & Johnson. Clinics will also offer boosters to anyone ages 5 and up. The COVID vaccine is free for anyone from any community. Please bring your vaccine card and insurance card. If you do not have health insurance, you can still have a vaccine. Public health nurses are available at every clinic for your questions or concerns. Booster shots are one more layer of protection against COVID-19, and they prevent a huge number of people from needing to go to the hospital. We want to protect our most vulnerable or simply unlucky neighbors from getting the virus. We can't afford to let our guard down. Would you like a better world? It's as easy as grabbing a hammer and building a home. Pioneer Valley Habitat for Humanity builds strength, stability, and self-reliance through affordable home ownership in Hampshire and Franklin County. It's not a handout, it's a hand up. Habitat homes are built with donations of material, land, and services. Future homeowners and volunteers create a partnership with Habitat for Humanity to build a home, strengthen our neighborhoods, and create a legacy for our community. Help transform the world. Volunteer and support Pioneer Valley Habitat for Humanity. PVHabitat.org. This is the Afternoon Buzz with Buzz Eisenberg. 1015. And we're back with Megan Zoom and her guest today, Chris McHugh, who teaches through uh, pandemics, through <laughs> social upheaval, teaches yes. fourth graders. Keeps uh, going, which is what teachers do. <laughs> I know. It's such an honorable profession, and we all need it, but challenging times. Yeah, enor- enormously so. Um, so what, um, what were there positives that came out of this for you? I mean, I think we talked about that a little bit of seeing how important the, the social, emotional, and the time, and the downtime, and, the, and mm-hmm. the social time is. But were there other positives for you as a teacher or personally? Um, well, I think that the other piece of this, and I, I was lucky enough to know this before the pandemic, but I am lucky enough to work with colleagues mm-hmm. where... And I think that, you know, we really shared the load um, in some really important ways, I feel like, during the pandemic that we hadn't done in the same way before. So, like, okay. you know, yeah. particularly in the spring of 2020 when, you know, there were, like, no expectations necessarily to Zoom every day in Northampton, but to put some work up. And it was like, okay, I'll do the math slides this week if you do the writing slides oh, and you do yeah. the reading Yeah, so slides. you really relied on and, each other. And relied, and like here, let's, what are we going to do for these three things? And then like, let's go off and make the Google slideshows. And I think that definitely continued into like the actual remote learning of the fall of mm-hmm, last year mm-hmm. and into the hybrid times. And I think um, that that load sharing has continued in ways that feel really significant um, 
because why do why do three of us need to invent the wheel yes. when yeah. like we could each take a little bit of of yeah. the project on yeah. and so that I think is one like that gratitude for for the people that I work with for yeah. sure yeah and what resources did you draw on when you both both sort of like online teaching um, and then kind of teaching in the aftermath of the online year? Um, <laughs> wh- how do you meet, you know, what did you draw on? Was it professional development? Were you sharing with colleagues, obviously, to an extent, mm-hmm. online research? I mean, how did you learn to do new and different things? A little bit just by doing. I okay. mean, certainly there was, there was some professional development. We also had a little bit the state gave us at the beginning of last year a little bit of extra time. The school year, I think, was 170 days and not 180. Oh, okay. Last year, like mm-hmm. teachers gave were you extra time, right? right? Like those times we, we had that. We used it to to connect with families. We used it to, um, you know, really kind of set set the situation up for success. And so I think that um, we were able to to use that. But really, it was a lot of like okay, does this work with like all (laughs) my little, like, you know, can I fit all of the Zoom boxes on my screen? And then once I can see all of them, um, what is working? Like where am I actually like getting something back and where Mm -hmm. am I not? And then sort of um, building on what felt successful and maybe leaving behind what didn't feel successful. Yeah. I had had a question here for you. Sure. Stan. Um, can you tell a little bit how parents changed during the pandemic? Um, I don't, well, I, I, as a parent, I know parents changed during the (laughs) pandemic, but I, I think that the, that, uh, relationship between teacher and parent Mm -hmm. was, um, more necessary than ever. You know, I, I used to say to parents when they would, during remote teaching, like, you're seeing more than you ever see, and I am seeing less than I ever see because, mm-hmm. you know, Correct. I would send them off to do something. And even if I was putting them in breakout rooms to work on it, I could only be in one breakout room at a mm-hmm. time. And I couldn't have my eyes on a different group the way I can in a classroom. And so that communication of like, math is just not working this week. Mm-hmm. And, you know, or, um, hey, you know, they need something a little different here from, from caregivers was really important. And then also, um, I think part of what I realized was that a little goes a long way. Mm-hmm. And I think that I learned being a parent myself. Uh-huh. Like we we have now this class dojo app where I can just send pictures of them building their, you know, insulate, insulation roller coasters mm-hmm. Ooh, in science and just like send that and the parents feel like they have a window into their kid's day. They yeah. don't necessarily need, I mean, it's still important for me to sort of like give regular updates, but it's more important to be like, here they are with their first grade reading buddies in the garden. And those little windows into days give caregivers a real sense of connection with what's happening and something to like ask their kid about when their kid gets home. And then also um, is like pretty easy. It's like not sitting down to write five paragraphs. It's just like taking the pictures and uploading them, which feels a little less overwhelming for on on the teacher end. And so I think that um, like parents, I was in their homes. They could hear me. Mm -hmm. They could, you know, see me in ways that they never could. And um. Did, did that create a stronger relationship? I, I think it did. I do think it did. I think that I, in ways that I had never before, sort of like that it wasn't forced on me, but like that was just, it was there. And yeah. so you could make of it what you would. And I am fortunate to have really excellent caregivers um, in in this community. And so that relationship and that teamwork of supporting kids too, because when the kids were struggling with remote school, which plenty of them did, um, they were my eyes. Yeah. The, the, the caregivers were my eyes. I couldn't, I couldn't be the, the eyes in the same way. I couldn't be the person to like sidle up next to someone and say, let's work together on this. I sort of had to like coach, the you coach know, caregivers through yeah. it a little bit. Yeah. But my, maybe this question is as much for Megan as it is, it, it, it's to a parent, which is mm-hmm. kids look up to um, adults. They get a sense of security because yeah. adults are on solid footing. Right. 
but during these past two years, none of us have been on solid footing. We, we've been no. sometimes in quicksand. Yeah. And I'm wondering what, what if impact that had. My kids are 53 mm-hmm. and 50. <laughs> right. So, but what impact that has on little kids when their parents are as insecure as yeah. they can be? I mean, my, my kids, uh, you know, when the pandemic started, were 17 and 21. So I, you know, um, and... And in, in, at that age, I think it's important for parents to show some of their vulnerability. I mean, I couldn't be falling apart at all times, but I felt like my kids were at age where I could let them know that I was afraid I was functioning, but I was afraid. But I think you can talk more about how um, how you do that when with littler kids. Yeah, I think um, my my kiddo had a really uh, not so bad pandemic setup because we wound up. Um, there was no child care because of sort of like ratios. Lots of child care spots were um, cut. We were moving into a new spot and they sort of cut all the new families, understandably, in a pandemic. And so we wound up spending a good amount of time with my parents. So she got like my her grandparents' attention pretty um, for, for a pretty long time. But I think, yeah, I think that in some ways they don't know any different. And, mm-hmm. you know... Um, and in other ways, I don't even know where I was going with that thought, but <laughs> I think that um, that kids kids see it all, right? Like as, as a teacher, like I'll speak on the 10-year-olds because I think that's easier. My daughter was two when the pandemic right, started. Yeah. But with 10-year-olds, it was like really being honest with them about like, here's what's really hard right now. Mm-hmm, and like tell, mm-hmm. you tell me what you find really hard. And I can like share with you a little bit about as, as a teacher in remote school, I was like, listen – if you turn your camera off, I'm not going to stop you, but like, and I can't see you and you can do whatever you need to do, but it's going to be hard, you know, like we have to work together and we have to figure out some ways of communicating with one another so that if you need help, I can know that because I can't, you know, in a classroom, I can like see the kid whose head's just down on the desk and who like needs a little pick me up or like clearly is lost in a lesson, whereas out of... Um, on on remote school, that was harder, and so it was building that relationship and that and that trust, and letting them say like, "Here's what's hard, and here's here's what's challenging, yeah. or here's what's going really well." Yeah. So even at that age, showing that showing that adults can be vulnerable and need mm-hmm. help, but not necessarily falling apart, right? Uh, which I think <laughs> is what kids kids can see and 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 can cope with that. Mm-hmm. That's a great place to leave it. Unfortunately, that is how we have to leave it. But um, yeah, we are, we've all been vulnerable. And yes. Yeah. We'd like to think that we are steeled to, to accept anything, but this has been a rough time. But I do know that there's one group of people who deserve our unflinching mm-hmm. <laughs> gratitude, and that's those Teachers. who are entrusted with our future through our children. Yeah. So thank you, Kristen McHugh. Thank you. Thank you, Megan, once thank again. You. And now I feel totally uplifted. Oh, good. <laughs> All good. right. I'm, I'm glad I was able to do Everybody that. Everybody have a great evening. <laughs> until, until you read more news and then. News. There you go. <laughs> no news, people. We'll talk to you tomorrow at four. This is the Afternoon Buzz with Buzz Eisenberg, 101.5 WHMP. Imagine working hard for so many years and reaching your retirement only to find out there's an issue with your pension or 401k. Unfortunately, it's a problem too many Americans face. The New England Pension Assistance Project can help you get the benefits you've earned. Funded by the U.S. Administration on Aging, the New England Pension Assistance Project has a proven track record of success in obtaining benefits for its clients. From challenging pension denials and miscalculations... The only live and local talk in the Valley and for the Valley. WHMP Northampton. WHMQ Greenfield. A Northampton Radio Group station. It's 5 o'clock.